Episode 188 of The Cool Room. Uh, I'm your host, David Griffiths, welcoming you to the second part of our interview with Canada's Third Moon Brewing. Uh, the guys were so generous with their time with Mr. Warren Wu and I. Their beers were truly magnificent. And look, we've got a few of them tucked away in the cool room at the moment. Our cool room is not huge, and so we want to get them out the door quickly. Uh, I'm going to reduce the price on these beers in our online Shopify store to just $50 for the four-pack. Now, look, $50 for a four-pack probably sounds a bit extravagant, but when I tell you, and feel free to jump on to all of the other beer retailers online, have a look at what they're selling these beers for. You'll find they're $15, $18, even $20 a beer. So this is like an $80 four-pack $50 essentially cost price. Our logistics gnomes want them out of the way so that we can bring in all of our awesome August beers. So give us a hand if you're enjoying this chat. I promise you, you'll enjoy the beers. We're about to chat about the Doppelbock, and it's one of the most interesting Canadian beers we've had on the show in a long, long time. Give us a hand, support the podcast, and grab one of those, and you'll, uh, you'll be able to enjoy some magnificent beers while helping us out. Look, we were hoping to bring you as part of today's show uh, discussions with both Wildflower and Ministry of Beer and a bit of the uh, the Blobfish Festival. Unfortunately, that wasn't able to happen. Uh, it looks from Facebook like some people who went along there had a great time. Uh, we really hope that all the listeners who supported those podcasts back when we were chatting with the team from Blobfish uh, got along there, had a great time, uh, and hopefully we'll have some of those breweries on again in the future. But certainly the next few weeks... In the Cool Room offers all sorts of excitement. Check out our Facebook page to make sure you don't miss out on any of these events. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's posted on our Facebook on a Sunday afternoon their best beer of the week. Jump on, find a little picture of an AI gnome, and you can share a photo of your favourite beer that you've had wherever you are around the world. Uh, We'd love to see some of our international friends jump on there and share the beers that they're enjoying. But on that Facebook, you'll be able to find out about all of the other events we've got coming up, both online and in person. Online on uh, Thursday of this week, we're going to be chatting with Brainy Brothers, uh, a great tasting pack to accompany that one. Eight beers in that, super cheap. Jump on the Shopify and grab that. Then we've got a couple of in-the-flesh events. We're heading out to the Flemken Bowls Club uh, on Sunday afternoon uh, to uh, have some fun with our friends from Co-Conspirators. Then on uh, August the 3rd, the Thursday evening, we're back in at Beer Deluxe at Fed Square for some awesome winter beers. Uh, on August the 6th, uh, in the morning Australian time, we've got a bit of a treat. Uh, Larry Horvitz from Crooked Hammock in the US is going to be joining us. Uh, there's no beers associated with that one, but what a good excuse to just jump onto the Shopify, check out our $25 beer special page, and you can grab some beers for yourself. But wherever you are in the world, come in and hear from Larry. He's got some amazing stories to tell. And then on August the 10th, Behemoth is going to be in the cool room, tasting packs available for that. On the 17th, Bowden Brewing, and again, tasting packs available for that online in our store. Huge number of fun things coming up. We really hope that you join us in the Zoom room. We hope that you join us in the flesh. And, of course, a big thank you to everyone who joins us on the podcast version of things. Great to have so many people joining us from around the world. Really looking forward to meeting you all online soon. Okay, Mr Warren Wu and I, in the previous episode, chatted to the team from uh, from Third Moon Brewing. 
had a couple of their IPAs, really enjoyed those, and now we're about to kick off with the Doppelbock. Let's pour it up. We're back in the cool room where uh, we've had our little break. We've discussed all sorts of things. We've learnt uh, directly from our Canadian friends that the plural of moose is meese. We've discussed what it's like <laughs> to see a lynx in the wild. And I have done my... I've actually been very conscientious and haven't mentioned poutine once. Uh, that's because I'm excited about tasting a Doppelbock. Uh, it's a style of beer that we see a little bit here in Australia, not necessarily the hugest amount, and so really keen for Bebo to take us on a bit of a tasting tour of how this should look in our glass, what we should get on the nose when we have a smell, what we should be tasting. And then let's talk about this style a little bit, particularly for people who are newer to it. So this is Past Lords, a Doppelbach coming in at 9.2%. This is our first foray into high ABV lagers. Um, so Doppelbach is kind of the, almost the lager version of a barley wine. It's kind of the biggest and baddest that you could get. So it's going to be really big, really rich. Um, they, they can vary in style. A bit, but we went heavy on the chocolate, so you're going to get some, like, nice baker's chocolate, a little bit of milk chocolate, some sourdough bread crust, and just kind of this real earthy take on it. Um, and for as high as alcohol level is, because it's a lager and it's brewed really nice and slow and low, shouldn't shouldn't be harsh. It's, it's kind of a beer that will sneak up on you. It feels like one you should be able to drink a couple pints of until you realize that it's 9.2%. It, it's doing all of those things. When I'm holding it up here to the Australian winter sun, um, really lovely colours coming through there, some reds, even though it sort of looks brown in the glass when you actually hold it up and get a bit of light through it, some gorgeous colours coming through there. Yeah, we're excited. We actually uh, put some of this into some bourbon barrels, so we're going to see how that develops over time. I was just thinking about so, um, Yeah. Yeah, it's I fine. It will we develop very nicely. Mm. Yeah, I think so. With the, It's going to be nice and rich. And, uh, you know, we find when we bur bourbon barrel-aged beers, the bigger, heavier, heavier, sweeter ones, like the Imperial Stouts we do, um, you get a lot, a lot more of the top notes. But when we've done the kind of like a bit drier beers that we did in Imperial Porter, which finishes a lot drier than a stout, you get a lot more character from the barrel. It just lets it sing a little bit more. So I think we're going to get uh, that plus even more since this is, you know, it's got a lot of complexity, but it's not a super expressive beer like the way a pastry stout would be. It's a little more, you know, compact and nuanced. So I, I'm expecting good things from that. Absolutely. I'm always reminded with beers like this, we're talking to a brewer once about, the notion that a lot of the style of European, particularly German beers, uh, were brewed by monks when they were fasting and they weren't allowed to actually eat during the day, but they could have a beer like this and essentially get the same number of carbs, the same sort of flavours as they'd be getting from a really delicious sort of dark bread. And um, some of those flavours, those yeasty flavours in particular, always come through for me from that conversation. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay. I feel like many days I, I live on the beer that I'm sipping all day and 
then it's the end of the day and I realize I haven't even eaten all day, but somehow I haven't felt hungry. <laughs> that, that's what he lives like at. a monk. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was getting at. Thank you. <laughs> is it the uh, style that a, a lot of in Canada? Or is this sort of something that we... No, I was, I was just going to touch on that point. So, you know, we were joking before about English mild not being, hmm. being pretty... I'm pretty positive that wouldn't sell. Doppelbach, we didn't know. It's it's not a very popular style. It's pretty niche. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not very many um, kind of readily made examples of it, but uh, there have been enough that as a style, people are more aware of it than they are of some of the some of the you know less popular styles. But um, yeah, it's not a very common one. You wouldn't walk into a normal liquor store and see a few different options of Doppelbach and going. Is is there much of a tradition with brewers going and training over in Europe from Canada? Because I guess in Melbourne, especially come Oktoberfest, we've probably got at least three or four, if not a few more breweries, who are completely capable of doing a full lineup of six or seven different German styles because they've been trained over there and done apprenticeships. Is that a common thing? A lot of Australian brewers go to the US and then to Europe, I guess is what I'm saying. I would say it seems like maybe in the 80s and 90s, it was very common for brewers here to go to England and learn there. There was a lot of British pub beers and cask ales, very popular here. There's still one of the biggest beer fests in Ontario is Cask Days. It's an all-cask beer festival. (laughs) That sounds Um, incredible. It's fun. It it could get a little sloppy by the end of it, I know, firsthand. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a really, really good example of... um, because it's it's single cask, so people kind of throw everything at the wall. You had like a durian IPA and all the all the weirdest stuff you'll ever see is you get wow. to get there. We, um, uh, but sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I was going to take it into. Uh, yeah, yeah, Warren, no, Warren no. we've got that bit where the Canadians apologize to each other. This is what we were hoping for. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, there, eh? Let's settle this <laughs> over a hockey match. <laughs> I'm actually American, so I can I can. Uh, you can give him as much shit as. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get quite a bit of it, but yeah. Uh, but but I was gonna say then there was there was I would say a lot almost all the breweries that we are friends with or we kind of see in our same peer group are home brewers, or maybe some folks who've kind of kicked around the industry, <laughs> but more beer fans who felt compelled to open a brewery mm. instead of like classically trained at least in the in the styles we run in a lot of almost all the breweries i could think of that we work closely with are home brewers first that's an interesting and mainly it's probably on my mind because i'm lining up the beers for our october fest this year already and um, turning my mind to which ones I've got to say no to, which is always one of those awful bits of people who produce these great beers. And then we say, oh, look, we're really sorry. This year we won't be taking your Oktoberfest beer. Yeah. I want to add something um, that uh, hmm. for us, you know, this type of a beer, you know, we've all had you know, Eyinger, uh Celebrator is like a good reference point for like a kick-ass Doppelbach. Uh, these traditional styles we haven't done too often because for us, we feel like we want to focus on the styles of beer that we feel we can actually make a difference. 
And in Ontario, Canada, where we are, there's a liquor control board, which has a series of stores. Mm. It's, it's the place you go to buy, you know, alcohol mostly. And, uh, and it's only recently where you could have corner stores or grocery stores carrying beer. It was really the beer store, which is a chain and, uh, the LCBO is a chain and, uh, and you can go into the LCBO and buy some of these traditional styles, a great selection of European beers, uh, that you can buy for a price that we just, we couldn't possibly make the beer for that price. So we figure we're not coming here to make, you know, a German style that's been perfected primarily. That's not what our focus is because you can go there and buy that at a price that we just can't compete with. But we're going to bring you crazy bourbon barrel stouts that you, like where else can you go and buy them? But at the breweries that make them is small batch stuff and buying new England style IPAs that are hopped at the rate that we do them. So bold and generous on flavor that's not the type of beer you're going to find in the lc bill either because their buying power means that they're 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 dictating that anyone who sells to them has got to do it at a, at a severe discount mm. so it ends up being your your beers that are made in big batches uh the less risky beers and so the ones that we're here to do are the ones you can't just go and buy Mm-hmm. You, you have, there's a shortage of them. They, delicious coffee stouts is one of them, and and I forgot to mention one of uh, you know one of Bebo's favorite beers, uh, Hunapu's Imperial Stout from uh, from Cigar City, is uh, just a, a delicious big stout with cinnamon and peppers and vanilla, and those are the beers that are very exciting for us to drink, but we haven't typically been able to find enough of them at least for our appetite and our thirst in uh in in our local market so we've had to travel and go to all these other places and pay exorbitant amounts of money take a huge amount of time and risk to get these beers back home so we just said hey let's make the beers we like to drink and then we don't have to go anywhere we've got it right Mm. here in our hands (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, that's well, a really good. Point. I would say we we've also got we. Uh, I think the the selection of beers that we have going right now for the for this call is is really good, and I think showcases that we could do different styles well. But mm-hmm. I think locally, people know us for doing a lot of like really off the wall stuff. Like we've been on this run of doing these like Mountain Dew soda sour beers. We call Milton Dew. We've done different flavors of them and they're really wild and fun and really catches people's eye. Or we did like a, I don't know if they have them in Australia. We call them a Caesar. It's kind of like a Bloody Mary, but with like clam juice in it. Yeah. We did like a Caesar smoothie recently. We've done just, we do like a lot of like really weird off the wall beers and for our anniversary, which just happened in May, we did. It's ten or ten or eleven new beers, some barrel aged ones, and triples. We, yeah, we just really throw. We, we're we're not opposed to doing anything as weird as it gets. We, we threw a like, big uh, into a stout for our birthday. <laughs> yeah, 
We put the birthday cake in the birthday and beer. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, so so I think locally we have a reputation of doing all the wacky stuff. Like I get always get tagged on Instagram every uh April Fools when all these breweries put out their fake, you know, ranch dressing IPA and all this. And people <laughs> will tag Third Moon like we're the brewery to do that. But then <laughs> it, it, it but it gives me great pride that we could nail a Doppelbach that is a really technically difficult style and I think yeah. this pretty true to style and it's really well drinking so i think these kind of beers keep us grounded and give us some street cred to go out and make um you know we're coming out with a uh strawberry shortcake smoothie soon or whatever whatever weird weird idea we got we, we Coffee love IPA. Both, yeah. we love both ends of that spectrum mm. you say that doppelbock yeah. is a technically difficult beer to uh, produce again for people who are newer because in one sense the flavours are so familiar. Um, we probably don't appreciate just why it is a technically difficult beer to produce. Could you explain to, again, newer craft brew drinkers, um, why it is that that's technically difficult? It's really the alcohol level. So at 9.2%, to make it a lager that high of a of a alcohol level is, is, is really difficult. It's like the difference between, you know, driving around a crowded parking lot at 10 kilometers an hour versus 80 kilometers an hour. Like, it's just it's the same thing. It's just a lot, a lot riskier, a lot more. The anal- that analogy is excellent, yeah. And is that, that because of how the yeast performs in the beer, or what, what is it that actually makes it that bit harder? Yeah, so getting that much sugar into the beer to be able to ferment to that high of a level can be difficult. Getting the balance of flavor, so you get that much sugar, but keeping within balance where the chocolate levels where we want and the, you know, the, you know, whatever, all, all the toasted bread character, but also keeping it dry. So it's not too sweet, mm-hmm. giving an environment where the, the yeast could fully attenuate and also having that much yeast that doesn't just die off. We've had plenty of big beers we've tried to do where you get it, you know, we think it's going to land at 12% and at 8% it's just done. Like the yeast are done. They're full. They're going home. Gonna go take a little nap. So, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of things need to to come together correctly to make something like this. And I find this beer is so is so drinkable. Mm. I, I never guess it. Like, it, of course, something to keep in mind is when you're when you're tasting a few beers in a session, like we are here. Uh, you don't want to judge it too quickly. It's going to take several sips for your palate yeah. to shift over and get used to that. So Absolutely. my initial first sips are like, this is so sweet. But then you start to get into it a little more and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it just, then you hit, you hit your stride with it. And then as I'm drinking it, I'm drinking faster and faster as I go because it's just, it's just, mm-hmm. it's hitting that middle note for me yep. on the palate and it's feeling really balanced. And now I'm getting some of that crusty, those bread notes mm-hmm. in it that, um, that are, you know, dialing back that sweetness in my mouth. It's, uh, it's a really interesting brew, and I think there are a lot of beers that, that people are sharing and, and you know living the untapped culture. They're they're pouring themselves a thimbleful of a beer mm-hmm. and then drinking and saying, "Oh, that's great," and assuming they they get it. Yeah. But especially if you're trying different beers, you really need to take your time and let your palate adjust, and then and and think about it. Uh, rushing it, it just it. it 
it has its place. And if you want to share something with someone, the size of what you got dictates how much everybody gets. Yeah. So you get what you get and you don't get upset. But uh, this is, uh, I, I find a lot of beers, I when I get to have a full pour and take my time with it, you really just, you get to understand it and enjoy the experience on a, on a mm-hmm. whole nother level. Well, the other thing yeah, that I do, yeah, do, that's a really good call. Yeah. The other thing that Warren One other quick thing is that, uh, sorry, just a, just one no, quick please. point is that this is a 10-week t- beer also. So from when we brew it to when we put it in the can, it's 10 full weeks, ah, which yeah. uh, in, in brewing terms is a long time. When we could put out an IPA in two weeks, that's a lot of foregone revenue. That's a lot of like just as a business choosing to set aside assets to just make a really good beer that we're going to enjoy and be excited about. And maybe people will get it or maybe they won't. But I think that, um, yeah, that, that's also yeah, that part of the difficulty too. Not yeah. just like the actually brewing, but being like, okay, we're going to, we're not going to put out five IPAs. We're going to put out this one beer. And it's a beer. And we're not going to charge five times as much. Yeah. Right. And it's a beer that people expect to pay less for. The perception yeah. is a lot <laughs> yeah. cheaper. Yeah. But when you consider the opportunity costs, it's a much more expensive beer to make. So yeah. it's kind of backwards. I talk, yeah. I, I, I sometimes talk to friends about tequila that way. It's like, mm. that agave plant, like, took as long as that, that scotch has been sitting in that barrel. Like, it, it, like it, to grow the primary product. I was going to ask a question. Sorry to, to throw in something completely off the cuff. But I was going to ask a question about this beer and the barrels because we, you discuss, it, it is balanced. Like this is a really lovely balanced doppelbock for particularly given the, the ABV, it just is a really drinkable beer. After you put it in the barrel though, and I'm, this only comes up because we have done a lot of dark beers recently and we did a whole spread of different things. The treatment in a barrel would be different depending on the brewery. So I'll give you an example. We had an English special bitter from our friends at Boat Rocker here in Melbourne. And they had, and it's a real, in a lot of ways, a similar, similar kind of frame that they threw into a barrel to see what, what came out of it. And it was an old whiskey barrel from, from a local distiller. We also had our good friends at Banks, and they talked about their their stout, which they barrel-aged in a, a bourbon barrel. And what they did was they they brewed another beer just to kind of add back to produce that, to, to just kind of balance off that dryness. Yeah, they Whereas, had a, a lactosia beer, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. that was a lactosia beer too, so a different kind of kettle of fish. But then but, but with uh, Boat Rocker, they, they kind of just, they wore after that beer, that that. Uh, barrel expression so they 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 kind of that the purest thing they did was they just put it into a can and off we went what would be your direction when it comes to the end product when the the barrel aged version this doppelbock like where where can you see yourself um where's the finished product for this this beer when when you're pulling it out of a barrel oh that's a good question I like to be brutally honest. We we don't know. Like mm-hmm. we'll know. We, we we'll taste the barrel and see where mm-hmm. it is. Like uh, you know, one of the one of the joys of being a very small brewery is that Chris and I can make decisions on the fly. Like, oh, we need some more double IPA, so we're going to brew it and we'll have it very soon. Uh, but one of the 
or, you know, we could do things like this and, and set aside assets. But one of the, you know, pain points is that we don't have a massive barrel seller where we could kind of pick and choose and we have a dedicated person that's checking in on them all the time or whatever. We'll set a plan and we'll taste it and just kind of maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. And yeah. maybe the beer gods will be smiling down and that's the best beer we've ever made and we can never replicate it or it'll get infected or it's good or it's out of bounds. Like we, we honestly don't know, but I think the best case would be this with a lot more like, uh, and I think the barrel could bring out some a little more vanilla, maybe yeah. some oak, obviously a little bourbon in there, but uh, maybe we just don't know. Hopefully some leather. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we pay we pay a ridiculous amount for barrels for for bourbon barrels in Australia. Just out of interest, how many Canadian dollars would it cost for a good quality bourbon? Let's say a Buffalo Trace barrel in 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 Canada, and you don't uh, have the, the thing that, yeah yeah no the, the no the thing that gets us is the shipping. We buy from U.S. brokers, mm-hmm. so we pay what U.S. breweries would pay. Yep. Although we have the exchange, so it's about maybe 35, 40% more expensive once you oh, convert yeah. it to Canadian dollars. But for us, it's it's always the shipping. So we got to get a lot of barrels at once to, you know, get a couple pallets or, or skids worth to make yep. it worth it. But I think it works out to somewhere around $400 per barrel, three oh, yeah. three to 400 depending on the, the barrel. Yep. Every brewer some... that we've spoken to this month, Warren, is spinning. They're obviously not in their graves yet, but yeah. spinning <laughs> where they're standing right now about that kind of pricing. Because that's yeah, they pay, they pay, yeah, a bit more. Hmm. Like how yeah. much? I mean, it's got to go a lot further, right? I reckon it's double. I reckon it probably is double. Um, we've heard a lot of numbers because there'll be different ways that each one of the the breweries will source the the barrels. Um, so someone like Hawkers, which is a fairly, which is a relatively big craft brewery operation. Um, and Maz is a very, uh, persuasive human being. He, he, he still struggles to get them, but I'm sure he gets them at a, I'm sure part of it is that he gets a good price for them. But yeah, we, for Buffalo Trace, yeah, I'm sure it's probably double. Uh, it's, yeah. Well, I, I'd be curious, like, so I know a lot of, like, all, almost every scotch you've ever had is it's an ex-bourbon barrel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they don't ship the barrels over. They break them down into staves, and they have coopers there that, re, you know, build the barrels back up. So, yeah. So you think when you're physically shipping a barrel, yeah, 95% of that is yeah. just dead space. Yeah. So if you could fill a tanker or, you know, a shipping container, how many full barrels versus empty barrels? So yeah. I think that's that's got to be part and of it. That, that, and a big thing is like who owns those who owns those distilleries, and they happen to be the lot of the same guys who own like the 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 whiskey the Scotch distilleries are a lot of the same guys that own bourbon producers. Oh, so you know what? It's like the, the, in a lot of ways they kind of can feed themselves. Like they're 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 I moving. It's called vertical integration, Mister Wu. Or vertical integration, yes, yeah. Well, something a small brewery can't can't yeah. do. Like you know what I mean? It's it's like if you're you, yeah if you're um a whisk if you're if you're a, a 
bourbon producer and you have all these single-use barrels, which, which is like, well, let's just ship them across the Atlantic to Scotland to our whiskey distillery and they can repurpose and use them. It's like, well, if you're a brewer, you can't do anything near that. So, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, That's interesting. Mr. Wu, I'm conscious of the time that oh, our yeah. friends over there are nudging up towards midnight. I think it might be time to ask a couple of our favourite cool room questions. We've got these questions that we've asked for 187 episodes now, and they're very special to us, and we might use that as an opportunity to say a big thank you and round things out. Bebo, how about you? Come on, you're, you're part of the industry. You've been around for a bit more. You've done the home. I, I can't think of any good stuff. It's super boring, but I really can't. Like... Uh... I think the the worst we've had is uh, some near disasters with beer. Almost. Oh, we like those. We like explosions as well. Yeah, explosions yeah. are always good. See Oh my goodness! I feel like we just. I I I hate to be the boring guy, but I can't really think of anything. That's right. You'll never out boring some of the German guests that we've had on along the way, because normally in Australia it's like literally someone buys a pub and walks in, and the cool room hasn't been cleaned for three years or something. Yeah, I guess that's the thing is that we we built our own, so it didn't really. It reeked of of sour milk, though. So something gone (laughs) wrong there before. Yeah. That's all good. When we had our German friends on one stage, they exclaimed that the lines hadn't been cleaned for 48 hours, and that was the other side of the metronome (laughs) to where Australia was. They were horrified. So dirty. (laughs) There was no process. There was how how do they how do they operate in this environment? Although one of our English guests uh, got us to take down the whole podcast because. Of an explosion story, like like when we thought, oh, this is that they had one of those plastic uh, refillable kegs, and they decide to stick wort in it. <laughs> and I don't know how they did it in the first place. They they like because they want to keep the culture. They want to go to store it somewhere. But of course, live wort pressure vessel <laughs> exploded. <laughs> And I simply think they, they, they just didn't like themselves being seen as, like, goofballs. I remember one of the first times uh, when Bebo and I were brewing together in the first couple of weeks and uh, we, were, we were dry hopping a beer and we didn't take the pressure off as, as much as we needed to and took that port off the top. And I remember hearing the puff as it went whizzed by my ear and landed on the whole other side of the uh, of, of our brewery space, and I thought to myself, "Hmm, I I just about died there. <laughs> Let's never do that again." <laughs> but thankfully, it's never happened again. <laughs> I did the same with overpressurizing one of those plastic kegs at one stage, and, and it wouldn't unlock and depressure. So. Being the smart man I am, I was going to attack it with a knife. And so I sort of took it out to the backyard of the venue, grabbed it between my legs, was pressing <laughs> And there must have been a stone underneath because it ruptured that way and let go with all of the internals, the springs and everything that flying sideways. Wow. And I was lying in the backyard giggling. This is at a poutine restaurant, by the way, but lying in the backyard giggling when my sort of business partner came out and said, what's going on? Because I was just so full of adrenaline. 
that I had not <laughs> at all dealt with what I'd just done. It was the stupidest thing I've ever right. done. Blasted your balls off, <laughs> like literally. Oh, yeah, I mean, that, that would, and that wouldn't have been the greatest loss compared to, you know, other, <laughs> other organs which are more important in my day-to-day <laughs> living. <laughs> what on earth did you think? <laughs> Well, was, I just didn't. I didn't realise what had actually happened. I thought oh, yeah, it was actually yeah. a fault. Yeah, yeah. I thought that there was just. I hadn't realised that someone had turned up the gas on the beer system, and so it was full of gas. Like yeah, it was, it was a pressure. It wasn't vessel. unlocking because it was over pressure. It was not yeah. what was in my head. It was trying um, to keep you safe. The the other question that we like to ask is to brewers about what their favourite bit of equipment is in a brewery, and particularly for people who've come for home home brewing and they've always dreamt of having a certain kind of bit of equipment in the brewery where something you go, oh, now I can do this. Uh, Bebo, is there something for you where you go, oh, now I get to play with this toy? Uh, it's really just a pump. Like I used to I used to homebrew and I would bring the 5-gallon or 20-litre or whatever of boiling wort down the stairs and bring it over and like haul it up. And I remember one of the first times Chris came over and he's like, are you scared you're going to drop that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm very scared. There's nowhere else to do it. So now you just like click the button and it like, it all just goes over there. It's, it's, it's much, much better, much better way to live your life. I really like that answer because yeah. it speaks <laughs> to the daily experience as well. It's that bit of that. Hopefully you value the journey you're on where you go, now, I, now I'm at a place in my life where I can do this. Yeah. You just for said me, it was, a, it was a, simp, a very simple tool. Uh, when we started out, I, I remember climbing into the mash tun to get the spent grains out of there because we were using like a garden hoe or something so ineffective and we needed, you know, a perfectly contoured uh, spatula type of whatever that you know, that thing is to pull it out, but, uh, I would climb in there and, and be like trying to scoop it out with my hand and just wondering what, you know, is this how other people do it? And looking at the rake thinking, if this starts moving, I'm going to be chewed up into millions of bits. So that was, uh, when we got that tool and, and nobody had to climb into the mash tun, I felt like it was real progress. I understand. It's like when people say to me, David, would you like to do a beer collaboration? I know now what that means, which is that it's the 50-year-old bloke who's going to have the shovel and the rake at the end of the process while they're all standing around laughing. There's, there's, no, there's nothing good about David doing a beer collaboration. <laughs> yeah, making a beer is uh, not, not glamorous, that's for sure. <laughs> Guys, you have been so super generous with your time. We've had some awesome beers. We should absolutely shout out to our friends from Mr. West and Caleb, especially, who have made this happen here at our end in Melbourne. Um, Some awesome beers that we wouldn't get in our glasses without them doing all of that work. How do we find you on the social media? How do we find and stay up to date? Uh, we barely even talk things like cam design. The design is beautiful. I love so much stuff about what you're doing over there. How do we keep hearing the story about Third Moon? If you Thank follow you. us on Facebook or Instagram, it's at Third Moon Beer, all words. And our website is thirdmoonbrewing.com. And so we unveil the new beers each week. 
days before we release them every Thursday at noon. That's, you know, Eastern Standard Time in Ontario, Canada. Uh, we can ship our beers inside of Ontario, but if you get a trading buddy, then uh, you can privately share beers around the world <laughs> however you choose to. <laughs> It's a it's a ripper. It's a great website. Even just the about us and the our team bit, you've only probably what spent thirty words each, and yet you paint a really lovely picture of the team you've got there at the brewery. Oh, so I really encourage people to go and find it. Thank you. We appreciate Mr. Warren you. Mr. Excellent to spend a Sunday afternoon with you. So much better than being at the Kensington Bowls Club annual general meeting where they're, I think, still <laughs> debating uh, like what colour the green should be next year because that's the kind of thing that bowls clubs do. Uh, I'll hand over to you and let you sign off for the podcast today. Thank you very much, guys. It's been it's been a real pleasure having you. Thank you for your time. And, of course, it's quite late over there, but we've had a blast chatting with you. And, uh, yeah, have a great night. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks so much. Cheer o'clock. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.